So next, Charles is going to come up and he is going to continue the sermon series we're on. It talks about how we can kind of take down the barrier that divides church and our everyday life. Let's welcome Charles. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to be welcome. Hey, it's good to see you all. I had such a good time at the retreat. Who was at the retreat? Wasn't it great? I had a wonderful time. Yay. Thank you for being there. We just had. This is actually my favorite retreat of all time. Just good teaching. Holy Spirit. Well, good teaching. I'm tooting my own horn. But anyway, so it was awesome. So, yeah, right? You guys liked it? Yeah. It's great. Well, welcome, everyone. It's a big Sunday today because I'm going to talk about salvation. Salvation. It's a big topic, right? Salvation is a loaded topic. It's not an easy topic. It's not something you can just bring up anywhere. You know, we're talking about faith that works everywhere. This is one of those topics that you can't just bring up everywhere. Right? You're at a cocktail party and you're like, you know, hey, nice to meet you. Let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about who's going to hell. You know? I mean, can you do that? I mean, that's just not, this is a difficult, hot, loaded topic, right? Because there's so much disagreement on this, even among Christians. Even among Christians, different Christian streams disagree violently on this topic, right? So, for example, Catholic Church, Catholic Church is the biggest stream within Christianity by far. And they teach that salvation comes through the sacraments administered by the church. Confession, baptism, mass, communion. This is how you get saved. This is how you go to heaven. Church and her rituals hold the key to salvation. Right? Any of you have Catholic background? Right? Can you agree with it? Right? That's, that's the teaching. But Protestants, Martin Luther, Protestant Reformation, disagree violently with this view. You know, saying that salvation is by grace, through faith alone. You heard that phrase? Salvation is by grace, through faith alone. Based on this verse from the Bible, it is by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Protestant Reformation, the reformers, the theologians, they felt that all these sacraments the Catholic Church tells you to do and make Christians do, they are works. They're things you do. Therefore, they cannot be the key to salvation. It's direct contradiction to this verse, right? So that's what they fought for. That can't be it. So now America was founded by Protestant reformers. Puritans, right? Remember Mayflower and funny hats, right? And so this is what the majority of churches in America today believe and teach, the mainline churches, the evangelical churches. But this is one of those things that's easy to preach about but really hard to live by and practice. 
Because you have to do something to be a Christian, to be different. I mean, if it's all grace and there's nothing you do, I mean, what differentiates you? To be a a practicing Christian. So in practice, the Protestants have works too. It just looks different. For example, many evangelical churches teach you have to pray the prayer. Have you heard that phrase? You have to pray the prayer? You have to accept this fact that Jesus was sent by God, the Son of God. He died on the cross to save us from, you know, hell. The cross is what reconciles you to God. You have to accept this, and you have to pray, I'm a sinner, God save me, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. And you have to remember that moment and live according to the Bible. You know, anyone familiar with that? Anybody have evangelical background? Right, right? Am I right? See, I have that evangelical. I I know, right? So correct biblical beliefs and correct biblical behavior is faith that saves you. But that looks awful like awful a lot like works, doesn't it? <laughs> it's the stuff you do. I mean, if that's not works, why is sacraments not works? I mean, you could have faith in the sacrament. I, I, I mean, it's like they all works to some extent. So. It's just kind of confusing. And in the days when I was attending churches, when I was in a pastor and I was attending these Protestant churches, quite often I felt kind of whiplashed, confused. Because one week it would be all about you know, how we are different from Catholics. It's salvation by faith alone. It's all grace. You can't do anything. It's all from God. And then next week, it's all like you have to do this, you have to do that. How can you call yourself a Christian if you don't do X or Y? Come on, you know, you're lame. Go and come and tithe. You have to come to church every week. You know, what are you doing on Sunday going to like, you know, football, watching football or going out on like, you know, Go to like these mountains and and you're not coming to church. You know, how can you call yourself a Christian if you don't come to church? You know, half this church is like outside somewhere enjoying the weather right now, okay? (laughs) At least half, more than half probably. So, you know, there will be a lot of condemnation about, you know, come on, you lame Christians, Christian in name alone. And so like I would feel like whiplash back and forth. Like one week, it's grace. We can't do anything. And another week, it's all like about what we do. So which is it? It's hard to like get my mind around it, right? Have you ever felt that way? Right? And so some people have tried to reconcile this tension by saying, our actions show our faith. Have you heard that? Right? It, 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 it is by faith alone. But our actions show our faith. And so you have to do stuff. And then I would think, well, if faith and action is the same thing, why even say it's, you know, salvation is not by works? Why talk about faith and works as if they are two very different things? I mean, Protestant reformers were violently insistent that they are two very different things. And so now they are the same thing? I mean, how does that work? It's very confusing. Now, I believe this confusion is mainly due to the fact 
that we cannot think beyond the bounded set mentality when it comes to faith. And I've shown you some, many of you know this picture. This is how people usually think about faith, in or out, Christian or non-Christian. You know, if you do certain things, you believe certain things, whether it's sacraments or praying the prayer or whatever, there are some disagreements about this boundary, what makes you exactly Christian, but most people sort of think of Christian or non-Christian, saved or not saved in this way. If you do the right things, you will go to heaven. If not, you will go to hell. Sad, right? To quote our president. And with this, confusion is inevitable. Because it's hard to fit grace into this framework. If you're thinking in these terms, it's very hard to fit grace into this. Because if it is by grace, and we can't do anything to separate ourselves, the, the boundaries are quite open. I mean, it almost disappears. Right? It sort of does. It kind of disappears. Is there a picture that shows that? kind of goes away like very hard to see who's in who's out it's hard to tell it's all by grace everyone can be in because you know there's nothing we can do grace it's always so easy to get in so one way reformers thought about this in order to reconcile these problems calvin said it's all predetermined by god by grace You know, it's all predetermined. God has determined it. So, and, and you cannot know who's in or who's out. Have you heard of Calvin? Calvinism? It's a very big, big name. It dominates Protestant evangelical theology. What Calvin taught is that there is no way to know if you are saved, if you're in the box, for sure. The only indication is if you are saved, your behavior will look different. God determined it, but if that is what's going on with you, then you will live biblically. You will look different. There's a sign that you are saved, and if you don't live that way, then that's a sign that you are damned. So bad behavior doesn't damn you, it's just a sign you are damned. And this is probably the only way to make the bounded set framework, you know, this mindset work, And also believe salvation comes by grace alone, through faith. It's probably the only way to make that work. But it's still got massive problems because, I mean, let's be honest, why bother? You know what I mean? If it's all decided, it's all, you know, there's nothing you can do, nothing you can, you can believe that, not, absolutely, it's all already decided. So why bother? Why do anything? It's not enough motivation to mimic the signs of being saved if it doesn't do anything fundamentally. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, why just mimic I'm, being, I'm saved, you know, but it doesn't do anything, but I'm mimicking it. I mean, that just, that doesn't work, does it? There's no motivation at that point. I'm not saying it's all free will. Reality goes deeper than that. But there's a big problem with seeing salvation as all predetermined. That's fatalism. 
That's belief in fate. That's not faith. Wouldn't you agree? Massive problems. So what if we are not bound to this boundless set framework? The old covenant was definitely boundless set. It was all about in or out, us versus them, good people, people of faith versus people of not faith. But the new covenant is different. It's better represented by another picture, center set faith, where the living God is at the center. And what is important is whether you are turning to him or not. And and, and I believe this really captures the difference between the new and the old covenant. There's a passage, it's really the only passage that directly talks about the difference between old and new covenant. And this is a critical passage because we are new covenant faith, right? Christian faith is not old covenant faith. Would you agree? It's new covenant faith. So we have to understand this difference. It's a critical passage. And here's the only passage that talks about the difference. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, declares the Lord. So it's different, old and new. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So in the new covenant, God is a lot more active, right? He's saying, I'm going to do stuff. I am not going to just tell you to follow my laws and get in the box. I will write my laws in you. I will bring you in. I will help you to be saved, right? That's the only difference. That's the key difference. The, the key is the, the ending. And the ending just sort of puts the uh, bow on the whole thing. It says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So what he's saying is that because I will be personally working with people, I will personally know you. You will be personally known by me. And you will personally know me. This know the Lord, that word know is not a head knowledge. That's, that's like, I know so and so. You know, I know James. You know, I know him personally. He's a friend of mine. It's not like I know about James. Like I read about James on Wikipedia. You know? <laughs> and there's all kinds of things about James on Wikipedia. And I know about him. Right? Versus, I actually hung out with him. I know what he's like. And so God is saying, so you don't have to like tell each other. Like in the old covenant, it was like a rabbi or a priest would read about God in the Bible, like reading him about it in Wikipedia. You find out what God's like. And they would come out and tell people, hey, this is God's way. This is what God's like. Follow him. Get in the box. But God is saying, that's not going to happen anymore. That's not new covenant. That's not going to be the dominant mode. In fact, it shouldn't be happening, he says. No one. It shouldn't happen at all, he says. Because 
you know, we are all going to be personal friends. Everyone will have access. So, you know, I know James, and somebody comes up to me and says, look, I read about James in Wikipedia. You should know this about James. You should know his ways. And that would be really annoying, wouldn't it? I'll be like, I know James. I mean, you're telling me about James from Wikipedia? Give me a break, right? I know him. So that's the the difference between old and new covenant. But the problem is, today the Christian faith feels like it's stuck in the old covenant because it seems to be so much about telling people, this is God's way, follow it. Right? There's so much of that going on, it seems. Even, you know, political force is being used to say, you know, we have to pass these laws because we have to make the nation follow God's ways or we are going to be in trouble. So they are telling everyone, this is God's way, follow it. Right? That's what Christians are known for these days. Telling everyone this is God's way. Follow it. When God said no one should be doing that, every Christian seems to be doing that or at least approve of it. What happened here? Right? Are we reading the Bible or not? I mean, what God said you should not be doing this. No one should be doing this. And everyone, every Christian is thinking that's what we should be doing. There's like a huge problem here. Something went off the rails. Now, which one do we want to be? Old or new covenant? Trick question. (laughs) Right? Because old covenant is not Christian. If we're a Christian, we're trying to be a Christian church, we don't do old covenant. We do new covenant. In the new covenant, it's all about connecting with this God who will be personally known to us. So back to that center set picture. So what this looks like in practice is we put faith in the living God as opposed to anything else. You know, we trust God to help us as opposed to our own abilities or money or fame or other people or governments or constitution. I mean, they're all good things and we use them. But our ultimate trust Faith means trust, right? Literally what it means, trust. We trust God in our lives. So what that looks like in practice is, you know, we turn to God all the time. As we live our lives, we're turning to God all the time and asking God to help us out. You are going to be, you said you're going to be personally known You are going to put your spirit in us. You are going to put your law in our hearts. You're going to help us move forward into good places. Why don't you help me? You trust God enough to turn to God. And what that looks like is, like for example, I got problems. I often talk about stuff like this, but I have lots of problems. You know, I'm sorry to say after all this time, Being a Christian and being this old, and I do feel old, I still got lots of problems, even though I've been working at them for decades. You guys got problems? 
Yeah? We all got problems, right? So one problem I have that can land me in a hellish place is I tend towards anxiety. I know I don't look it. <laughs> you know, at church, I'm always smiling. You know, it's all just, uh, you know, I'm putting it on, you know? <laughs> so, no, I mean, I'm not all putting it on. But I tend towards obsessing about what is wrong and what can go wrong. Anybody else relate to that? I mean, living in New York, it just kind of pushes you that direction, I feel like. And I already am kind of moved towards that anyway. So, it happens a lot, this sort of thing. But like this, a couple weeks ago, the way that this manifests itself is that I got an email. Um, I really shouldn't have been doing this, but on Sunday morning... You know, at like 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m., I I checked my email. And uh, there was this email that was sent to, you know, it was a group email, it was a group thread, and it seemed critical of my work. You know, and it was full of people that I respected. And so it really bothered me, right? Because it's like, hey, you know, what is happening here? I'm doing good work, right? So I'm thinking, this email's not right. And so point by point, I'm just thinking about how it's wrong. And more I think about it, more steamed I get, right? Like I get just really, really irritated. And I don't know what to do, right? And then I I think, well, it's Sunday morning. I got to preach, right? So I really should be like thinking about, I mean, this is the time I reserve to practice, The sermon, because I can't just come to you with, you know, right, I got to practice. I got to think about what I'm going to say. But, you know, I can't stop thinking about this email. Right? So I'm like, oh. So, okay, I'm going to talk about God and how God is great, peace, inner peace, you know, I'm going to talk, think, that email, (laughs) you know? It's like, She is wrong. And like, I'm going to say this, and I have to say this, and I have to say this. I got to refute this. I got to write this email. And 20 minutes later, I'm like, wait a minute. I got to work on my sermon. (laughs) I even got indigestion from this. You know, it was just like, ugh, you know. So my tummy is like all going bad, and I got to preach. Just feels like I'm just trying so hard to not think about it, but I can't stop, right? So I turn to God. I say to God, I need help. I can't, I mean, I just can't get to a good place by myself. This is crazy. I can't stop. So God, help me. Help me out here. And I I, I got a thought that dropped into my head. God, I think it was God. God said, read it again. So I went and read the email again. And I realized it was sent only to me. See, I thought it was sent to all these people because it was on a group thread. But actually, it was sent only to me. And it was actually quite helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, well, that was a complete waste of my Sunday morning I spent in hell, you know? (laughs) And so I had a good conversation with God about this. about my tendency to like 
obsess about what's wrong and like I can't like think beyond. So see, this is how salvation works. Like I find myself, because I have problems, because I'm a sinner, because I got problems in my heart, I end up in hellish places. And I turn to God in trust, in faith that he is actually living and he's actually out there and he's able to help me. I turn to God and God does something good. And I'm at a much better space after God intervenes. That's how salvation works. Now into eternity. You experience it now into eternity because life is now into eternity. It's not just after death. You have to experience this now. That's really what we are being saved and we will be saved, as the Bible tells us. This is how it works. Faith is not this prayer, prayer you prayed 30 years ago. Maybe you believed back then 30 years ago, but you can't live on that now. Faith has to be current and fresh right now, saving us right now. It's not this head knowledge about God. That's not faith, that's knowledge. Knowledge is good, but it's not faith. Pharisees had all the knowledge about God, and they killed God when when God came to them. It's a two different thing, whether you trust God or you know about God. This is how salvation works. And if you get that straight, faith will come alive for you, and it can work everywhere. It can work everywhere, because everybody's got problems. (laughs) You know? So all you're saying is, hey, there is this great resource. And you turn to God, you connect with God. Whatever you call it. AA calls it higher power. And you can't join AA unless you are willing to turn to higher power. It doesn't matter what you call God. As long as faith is there. And you turn to God, He will save you because there is grace on everyone. He will come and save you. And more and more you practice this and believe this, more and more you are becoming a real Christian. This is what makes you Christian. This is faith that saves. Anything else, the good stuff, that's old covenant stuff. Bible knowledge, all that stuff, that's old covenant. The new covenant, it's all about God saving you. Agreed? Amen? This is how it works. So, I said this at the retreat, but I want the whole church on the same page. Uh, We want to make it very clear what this church is all about. I want us to commit to two things out of this. One, I want us to all commit to learn and practice turning to God and experiencing His goodness everywhere. So as I said, this is what makes us Christian. This is spiritual development. This is how we grow. Trust, having faith, gracious God, experiencing Him day by day. That's salvation. Guys, the new covenant is not believe and proselytize. It is experience and witness. This is an important difference. It is not believe and telling everybody else what to think. 
God said, don't do that. No one should be doing that. Instead, what we should be doing is experience and witness. Jesus was very careful about this. He called his followers all the time. Consistently, he called his followers to be witnesses. And he was so consistent to call Holy Spirit the advocate. These are legal terms used in court. You heard a public advocate? Advocate is the lawyer that makes the case. A witness is the one that shares what they experienced. Right? What happens when a witness starts to argue the case? What happens? The judge will not be very happy, it was apparently, you know, the answer. The witness's testimony will be thrown out. It hurts your case. You have to leave it to the lawyer, the advocate, to make the case. And witness shares what they experienced. Right? We are called to be witnesses and leave it to God to make the case. And tell people what God is like, God can do that. God is the best one who can tell people what God is like. Make sense? We are to witness. So that means we have to have things to witness about. That means we have to have experiences of God saving us as we turn to him. And that takes work. That takes effort. That takes it's faith. But you have to do that. You have to turn and experience God's salvation today. That means you have to make time. You have to turn to him. You should, like our church focuses on this. And so we're offering classes like Tuesdays with God. You heard about this, right? It's like Tuesdays with Maury. (laughs) Hanging out with God. You know, which is a good thing. Because, I mean, if some billionaire said, hey, let's hang out, would you do that? You go, yeah, I think some good things could happen, right? You would hang out with a billionaire. God is much better than a billionaire, right? So he saves you from like your worst tendencies, like I shared. And and so hang out with God. Make the time to go to classes like this. They're going to talk about different spiritual practices because different people are wired differently. And so if it's for everyone, well, there has to be lots of different ways to hang out. With God, Some people like to watch football as they hang out. Some people hate that. And so, you know, different people, so right there, they're going to talk about different spiritual practices. It's going to be great. So please check that out. It's going to happen at the church office, 7 to 9.30. Classes like this are powerful because when we do it together, it goes so much better. You know, Jesus instituted church because new covenant is meant to be done in a community. It's all about connecting. So this is my second ask. We need to do this together as a church community. I don't want to do this alone. We need a reminder all the time that this is what faith is. Otherwise, it's so easy to move towards old covenant and other things. We need each other. So I would like our church to grow and thrive. Amen? It would be good. Now, there's been some good developments lately on that front. Some of you may have heard this before, but a couple months ago, a man named Tom Layden was here, and he loved our church and the approach to faith so much 
that he wanted to help out. He was at first like, there's nothing like this in Denver where I'm from. If you send anyone from your church, I will bring people, I will financially make it happen. So anyone wants to do that, please, you know, send them. Anyone? (laughs) You want to move to Denver and start a, a church like the river? Yeah? All right. You know, email me. I'll get you the info. He is all the way there. Well, I didn't know anyone at the time, so I said, I don't know anyone like that. He's like, well, I will help you, you know. If no one's going to come, then I got to make. And so, you know, he's a high-level advertising executive. You know, he's even won an award at Cannes Festival. So, you know, that tells you he's, he's up there, right? He runs a team at a big firm. So he's like, like he's put a team together. He's he's flown out here on his own dime, conducted seven focus groups. Any of you part of that focus? He did a lot of, and and, and some of them, it was like outside people, outside the church. So he put in a lot of work. And so that's been a, a very exciting development because he's convinced, and we're convinced, That if people found out about what this church is all about and how we do it, we really think there will be a lot of demand. Like in one of these outside focus groups, you know, towards the end of the focus group, one person said, you know, here's the only problem I have with what I have heard so far about this church. I don't believe it it exists. (laughs) It's too good to be true. You know, everything I heard in two hours is just too amazing. I don't think it exists. You're putting me on. Another couple of people said, we got to check out this church. And so, like, people like it. Maybe that could be like a one advertising strategy, you know, just keep running focus groups and just tell them about our church, and then they'll go, oh, my gosh, you know? I don't know. But anyway, as part of this effort to reach out and grow and welcome new people, we are going to make a move from this space to the 13th floor as the the, uh, worship space where we do Sunday services. You know the library space up there on the 13th floor? It's it's more pleasant up there, you know? (laughs) School has said yes to this. There's some work that needs to be done, so it could take a little bit of time But we're going to do this because this is the one thing Tom said about what we need to do differently as a church. He said everything else is great. But he said this space, when new people come in, now we are like all used to it now, so it's all good to those of us who are used to this, but when new people come in, when they walk in through that door, there's a very small space they can walk through, right? They have to bother you as they come through. And two-thirds of the people look at you. (laughs) It's like human instinct. It's like, you know, we are wired to look at movement because, you know, they could, like, eat us, right? (laughs) And and so we look at them. So imagine this new person walking in and, like, everybody's like, hmm? (laughs) And they are like, this walk is so unpleasant. We have heard of people who said instead of doing that walk, they'll just stay outside. They don't want to come in. Right? That's difficult. And, and, and plus, you walk in and you see this giant American flag, right? 
That is a huge flag. It's really huge. And you got like, you know, these are great people, but like, you know, Sotomayor and like Gandhi. And like, this is not what you expect to see in a church. You know what I mean? When new people come, they're expecting to come to a church. And there are a lot of jarring things in here that makes it really jarring for new people. So yeah, we are not used to it. We are like, oh, I like this table. I like the coffee and this is great. But for new people, it's no good. And so 13th floor, we can control the space. You know, there's natural light. It's a lot more pleasant. Uh, Today, you could go up and take a look. They kind of cleared out the space, and so you can go up and take a look at it to see, like, how you like it. But at least for the new people, we think it'll be a lot better. I think it'll help us grow. And we need to grow. We haven't given up on our desire to find our own permanent space. It's been a while now, right? But we raised $2 million to go get our own space. And I've just been sitting in the bank account not doing anything because the prices down here have jumped up like crazy. It's like double or triple. It's incredible how much prices have jumped. since we raised that money. And so if we're going to find our own permanent space and like go for that, those things that God said to us, promised to us, we want to do that, to do that, we need to grow to be able to afford that kind of, you know, we want to be in this community doing stuff. To be able to do that, this church needs to be a lot bigger. Okay, we just don't have the the numbers and financial wherewithal to go. So we need to grow if we we are still holding on to that dream of of how can we get there, right? And so I I really believe it's worth making the move, and it's going to take work from us. I'm telling you all this because the staff can't do this alone. If we go up there, we're going to need more volunteers because there's going to be chairs that need to be set up. We can control the room by setting up the chairs in such a way that it's easier for people to walk in. But that means we have to set up the chairs. And, you know, I got a back problem. I can't, we need, I can preach, but I can't move chairs. I need you guys, you know, to go to the 13th floor, someone's going to have to man the elevator. So one's going to have to be express, and one's local, like subway system, you know. We're going to have to control that. Otherwise, it will be hard to go up and down. So we need more volunteers in every team. But it's going to be worth it because New Covenant faith is worth going for. And given that this church is so focused on that and it's how hard it is to find churches that focus on that, this church is worth defending and working for and making it grow. Amen? So would you be willing to do a little more work on Sundays? I mean, you are here anyway. (laughs) And and so we usually ask you to volunteer once a month, but maybe you could do once every two weeks. I mean, would that be such a hardship? Right? You're here anyway. Just move some chairs. Go up and down on elevators. Can you volunteer a little more? Yes? Oh, Yes? Yes. Okay. 
That's better. So there's a box on your program that says, I'm willing to volunteer more. I know a lot of you are already volunteering. But check that box. You know, if you're willing to do a little more, it's worth it. Okay? Amen? Amen. And we're going to stay in one service until we make this move. I think that's going to help us to make this transition. So let's do this together. It's going to be great. New covenant faith, salvation by faith, by grace. As we turn to God, God does stuff, and we need to learn how to experience that more and more and more. Let's learn to do this together. That'll work so much better. Sounds good? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are a gracious God. It's not about in or out. It's about experiencing you who stands ready to help anyone and everyone, whoever they are, wherever they are, as they turn to you, you're willing to save us. You're willing to move us to a better place and help with our problems. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work more and more and more. In all of us here, even now, We say yes to you, Holy Spirit. More of you coming in, speaking to us, making a difference so that we may move towards life in all its fullness as you promised. Save us, O God. In Jesus' name, amen.